This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Boy, oh boy, do we have a matchup for you today, my friends. Two mammoth movies from 1987. We are continuing with our summer of 87, and we are comparing Robocop versus Predator. Two movies that will not die. If it bleeds, we can kill it. I ain't got time to bleed. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We have a new executive producer for today, Mr. Jeff Johnson, friend of ours from the A Film By podcast, has decided to become a Patreon member, and so he is the executive producer today. I want everybody to go and check out the A Film By podcast podcast they go and they take awesome directors and look at their lesser known movies and sometimes that means the better movies and they also have been doing a series on 1986 which you've gotten to do a couple episodes for him on yeah just become a good friend of ours i've done legal eagles with him yeah he also had me on to do the hitcher oh right now that one is supposed to be really good oh man it's so good I've done Under the Cherry Moon with him. I'm so sorry. Which hasn't dropped yet. I'm super (laughs) excited about that one. And then he's having me back to do Night of the Creeps. All right. Jeff, can't tell you how much we appreciate you. Listener, if you would like to be an executive producer of one of our episodes, just go over to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash Shirley Podcast. That's S-U-R-E-L-Y Podcast. And for as little as five bucks a month, you can become one of our Patreon members. It makes you an executive producer. There are free gifts that come along. And And for every Patreon member, we have just started doing a new thing where we cover a one-hit wonder of the 80s, deep dive into their story, whatever it might be. We've done Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Relax. We've done The Buggles and Video Killed the Radio Star. We've got Sinead O'Connor and Prince coming up with Nothing Compares to You. So if you're interested in that, be sure and go to our Patreon page. Also, I'm trying to talk you into a bonus Patreon episode. Long Tall Sally with its connection to Predator. I thought it'd be kind of fun to drop a bonus episode. So maybe a couple of bonus episodes coming your way. Summer of 1987, Predator versus Robocop. 35 freaking years ago. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. All right. Our story begins in the office of an employee of... 20th Century Fox named Michael Levy. Okay. Michael Levy has no movie credits to his name. Okay. But there's a script that gets slid under his door. Yes. And he's like, why would anyone hand me a script? I'm literally a low man on the totem pole at this company. What, what? Well, I guess I'll read it. And so he reads it, and he's like, dang, this is good. Uh-huh. I think I should pass this on. So the story is... Jim and John Thomas, brothers, had gotten together to write this script that they wanted to call The Hunter. These two brothers had heard this joke floating around Hollywood that if they were going to make another Rocky movie, that Rocky was going to have to fight E.T. to have anything new. And so they came up with this idea that Rocky was going to have to battle an alien. Yeah. So I've heard that. Yeah? Total urban myth. What? 
It is a total urban myth because the way that it, the story goes is that, you know, Rocky had beaten Apollo, Rocky had beaten Clubber Lang, and so now it was he's got to go across the ocean and fight the the big, you know, steroids man from Russia, and now that he's beaten that guy and turned all of the Soviets over to cheering for him, the only other thing that he can fight in the universe is an alien. Yes. The only problem is... Rocky IV came out in 1985, and this script was written in 1983. Okay. You're crushing me right now. I thought that was a really cool thing. (laughs) It is a really cool thing. It is a well-known urban myth. It was the joke, but it's all just an urban legend. Oh, you're killing me. Okay, so the Thomas Brothers came up with this idea. Whether or not it's urban legend or not, kind of undecided. (laughs) Right. But the idea that there is an alien race Mm -hmm. who is coming to hunt the most dangerous animal. Yeah. And the most dangerous animal is man. Right. And the most dangerous man is a commando soldier. If it bleeds, we can kill it. And so that was kind of their idea. Yeah. And actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the guy who said, I don't want it just to be mono e mono. I want to have a team of tough guys. Also an urban myth. Dang it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Screw keep, you, Wikipedia. I, and I, I keep raining on your parade. But the, <laughs> the original script was, it was also, he was with, a, Arnold Schwarzenegger character, Dutch was with a team of guys from the get-go. The actual change that occurred was that it was also supposed to be a team of predators, but they figured out pretty quick, that's too hard. We right. need to make it one predator. But... Yeah, the commando team was always a team. It was never a one-on-one. Wikipedia or Arnold Schwarzenegger may be lying. I don't I know. I heard Arnold Schwarzenegger himself yeah. say that. Yeah, no, apparently that is not true. <laughs> it's not a true statement. Oh, dang. Well, I can tell you something that is true. Okay, tell me. Jean-Claude Van Damme was the predator <laughs> at one point. Yes. Okay, yeah, we, we'll talk we, about we, that here in a minute. Yeah, we definitely need to talk about that. Okay. So Michael Levy gets this script, and he's like, okay, I got to get this to somebody. I'm a little confused uh, as to whether he gave it to Joel Silver, and Joel Silver got it to Lawrence Gordon, or whether he gave it to Lawrence Gordon, and Lawrence Gordon gave it to Joel Silver. But either way, those two guys had partnered multiple times in the past on some epic action movies, and at the time, Lawrence Gordon was the president of Fox. So that's a pretty big deal. Sure. And then they decide to team up with this guy named John Davis and his brand new film company called Davis Entertainment. Okay. Now, you probably haven't heard of John Davis, but he has produced a ton of movies that you would know. I'm not going to get into all of those, but Predator was his first one. Second one was Three O'Clock High. I could go on from there and I would go for hours, but... Three O'Clock High? Yeah. One of my all-time favorite underrated 80s gems also came out summer of 1987. Love it. Okay, so here's the rabbit hole I went down with John Davis. And I told you that when you watch the DVD commentary, he's the guy who's like, well, they were all working out, and they told me to come work. And he's just, he looks looks like George Costanza. I mean, he really does. And he's like, so I decided to work out with him. And then they kept saying, do more. What's wrong with you? You What's wrong? And so I did more. And the next day, I couldn't move. So so this guy, he forms this production company <laughs> right out of the box. He's doing this movie for 20th Century Fox, which seems like a pretty impressive thing, until I learned his dad actually owned 20th Century Fox. Oh, well, that helps. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't know how much that played into all of it. A lot. Come on. Okay, but here's this. Tommy right? Boy. By the way, real quick. Working out with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, and Jesse Ventura is kind of like... 
sparring with Mike Tyson when you're, you know, just a guy. (laughs) What are you thinking, dude? Yeah, right. So his dad, John Davis's dad, was a guy named Marvin Davis. In 1981... Marv? Marv. Okay. Marv, yes. (laughs) Marv Davis acquired 20th Century Fox for $722 million. And that also included... Are you ready for this? It included some Fox assets, which included Pebble Beach Golf Links, the Aspen Skiing Company... Wow. And a Century City property upon which he built and twice sold Fox Plaza, which you know better as, can you name it? Nakatomi Tower. You got it, baby. Yes! Nakatomi Tower in the original Die Hard film was owned by John Davis's dad, Marvin Davis. These people were so obscenely wealthy that Aaron Spelling modeled the family and dynasty off of their family. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. 1993, Marvin Davis and his wife, just, just to get give you some perspective, yeah. were robbed of $10 million of jewels and $50,000 cash by a masked gunman while they were on holiday in the south of france they're walking <laughs> around france with 10 million dollars in jewels and fifty thousand in cash uh, there's rich and then there's super rich yeah they bought their house a forty-five thousand square foot house in beverly hills from kenny rogers it became famous for its christmas parties later on wow i mean if you're going to have a christmas party might as well have it in a forty-five thousand square foot mansion gosh so they're famous for their Christmas parties. Yeah. And then he owns the building where the greatest Christmas party of all time <laughs> takes place. It's Christmas, Theo. It is the time for miracles. <laughs> you know, you get the impression that, hey, I want to buy the movie studio. They're like, okay, great. How about this price? He's like, hmm, why don't you throw in Aspen Resorts, too? <laughs> okay, sure, we can do I mean, the, the Pebble of, Beach Golf Club. Uh, sure, I'll take it. Gosh. Yes, so obviously Die Hard, also produced by Joel Silver. Absolutely. Directed by John McTiernan, the director of... Predator. Predator, right? And But John McTernan, at the time that they were getting together the stuff for Predator, he was a guy who had done one movie. And we talked about it in our Die Hard Lethal Weapon episodes. His movie was called Nomads. Had That's right. Pierce Brosnan, Pierce Brosnan. Yes. who will come up here in just a little bit yes. when we talk about RoboCop. Yes. So they get John McTernan... We've got Joel Silver, we've got Lawrence Gordon, we've got John Davis, and we're like, okay, we're going to go film in the jungle, and they film in the jungles of Mexico. Mexico, just outside of Acapulco. Yep. So just outside of Acapulco. In fact, when they offered this role to the cast, they're like, hey, we're going to be shooting in Acapulco. Acapulco. So they're like, yeah. dude, that sounds like a lot of fun, you know? Yeah, right. Margaritas in the beach? No. Jungle. <laughs> yeah, it was two hours outside of the resort area, right? <laughs> So, as we mentioned, Joel Silver had produced Lethal Weapon, and Lethal Weapon was written by a guy named Shane Black. Go check out our Lethal Weapon Die Hard episode. You'll learn about how Joel Silver was one of the guys who came up with the rules for Ultimate Frisbee, and you'll learn how Shane Black almost quit writing before he even got started, and then ended up writing a script called Shadow Company, which got him jobs and got him the script for Lethal Weapon. And that's how he knew Joel Silver. And Joel Silver was like, hey, this script that we have, the one that had been written by Jim and John Thomas, needs some work. I would like you to come 
you know, do some script doctoring. He's like, nah, I don't really want to. And he's like, well, then just come down and be in the movie with me. He huh? plays Hawkins. Yes, Hawkins. The so, first guy killed in the movie is Shane Black, the guy who wrote Lethal Weapon. Yeah. And Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. And he's the guy doctoring Predator. Right. Except that, as it turns out, he says, I didn't really, like, none of the things that I put in there actually ended up. <laughs> he says, this is what the movie studios do. They have the original script, and then they rewrite it eight times, and then they go back and they film the original exactly. script. Exactly. So, but he was there, and he's the guy that you will know as the guy making all of the very, very inappropriate jokes. Yes. Those are all his own jokes. And that are so bad he has to explain them. <laughs> you said, why did you say that twice? And I said I didn't. See, it's because of the echo. He said, when my mom watched the movie, she walked out. <laughs> <laughs> Not because of the p jokes, but because I was about to die and she didn't want to see me oh, die in the movie. thanks, Mom. Sweet Mom. Hey, by the way, I've got a little tidbit for you that I think is going to blow you away. Okay. All right? First of all, Shane Black on the set of Predator was writing a screenplay for a little movie you might know called The Last Boy Scout. Right. Yep. Starring Bruce Willis. Yep. Now then, Shane Black plays Hawkins. Mm -hmm. He's the first guy killed in Predator. What's the guy that they're looking for in the jungle, like the commando team is actually searching for? Well, allegedly, according to Carl Weathers, they're looking, they're searching for a guy named Hopper. Yeah, Jim Hopper. That's yeah. the guy that they found strung up and skinned alive. Yep. That guy right there. Right. All right. Do you watch Stranger Things? I do. What's the name of the sheriff in Stranger Things? Jim Hopper. Okay. And where does Stranger Things take place? Hawkins, Illinois. Those two names came straight from Predator. Wow. How about that? Wow. And I told you, we were we were texting back and forth about this a bit. Uh -huh. In season three, there is a guy who's clearly the Terminator who is chasing after Jim Hopper. Uh -huh. And at some point, Jim Hopper has a gun to the back of his head and he's like, you won't kill me. And he says, why? Oh, yeah, why not? Yeah. You're a police officer. Police officers have rules. <laughs> sure enough. I, I was stood like, oh. up in my living room when he said that. I'm like, dude! <laughs> it is filled. Stranger Things is filled with 80s references. So fans out there, Jason has just started watching it within the last month or so and binge watched it. I've watched it with the kids over the years. Truly love it. It is a great 80s throwback. Great 80s songs. And as a matter of fact, Jason and I have discussed it and we are going to start covering the songs of Stranger Things as unique new kinds of episodes that we're doing for the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. We have cleared our slate <laughs> to do this. Yeah. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Hey, I got something for you. Okay, good. Uh, since we're kind of talking trivia right now. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. All right. Name two movies where you have eventual governors of different states star in the same movie. Well, obviously you have Predator. Yes. Because you have Jesse the Body Ventura. Who, who was governor of? Minnesota. And? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who was governor of? California. Very good. And the other, they were in a movie together before this. What was that? Uh, uh, the Running Man. The Running Man. You got it. Yeah. Stephen King's The Running Man starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura. This stuff will make you a f***ing sexual tyrannosaurus. Just like me. Okay, I'm going to throw the trivia back at you, bro. Oh, okay. Let's okay. go. Okay. All right. There's a third guy in Predator that was also a gubernatorial candidate. Do you know who that is? Oh, my gosh. I mean, the only guy it could be is, I'm going to say Bill Duke. 
No. Dang it. It was Sonny Landham. Sonny <laughs> Landham really? was a gubernatorial candidate for Kentucky in 2003. He was not as successful as his co-stars, however. That's fantastic. Might have had something to do with the fact that he was a porno actor before he was a regular <laughs> actor, and that probably worked against him. Well, the fact that they had to have security <laughs> to protect him from other people. So let's go into that. So the, the guys, when you have a movie, you have to have insurance, and the insurance company, when they found out that Sonny Lanham was going to be in the movie they said <laughs> we are not going to insure this unless you get him a bodyguard and they're like have you seen him he's gigantic why right. would he and they're like no 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 no, not for him we need a bodyguard to protect other people from him <laughs> it's like having your own private get back coach yeah. right how big did that guy have to be by the way seriously <laughs> my goodness Sonny Landon plays Billy right the Native American character right he also played Billy Bear and another Joel Silver movie just before this. I got it. Tell me. 48 Hours. You got it, baby. Yes. And shortly before that, he was in porno films and posed nude in Playgirl. Wow. <laughs> hey, the guy's ripped up. Hey, all the guys in this movie are ripped up. They sought out guys that looked like big action figure heroes. By the way, one movie that you didn't mention that it really has an impact in this movie mm -hmm. is the movie Commando. Joel Silver produced. Yep. Starred Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep. And Bill Duke. Okay, so that is how Predator came to be. Let's jump over to Robocop. Thank you for your cooperation. I'll buy that for a dollar. Okay, so our writer on Robocop, I looked at his credits. He basically has two and then all of the movies that feed off of those two. And the okay. two movies are Robocop yes. and Starship Troopers. Okay. So his name is... Ed Newmeyer, right? And Ed Newmeyer had gotten his degree in television and film, started working as a production assistant, and then became a script reader uh, for Universal for a while. Right. And so he uh, realized after a while of reading scripts that he hated his job. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of wormed his way in to being involved with the production of another movie that we just covered. Blade Runner. Exactly. And when he's watching Blade Runner, he's on the set of Blade Runner, and you have Harrison Ford, who's chasing down these replicants, and he looks at him, he's like, mm, these don't really look like robots that I have in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so it, you got cops, and you got robots. It hit him like a ton of bricks. The word, the title, the idea, RoboCop. Dead or alive, you are coming with me. So he had this idea. He started working on his own script. He came across this guy named Michael Miner, who was trying to be a director. Just had like a student film out there, came across him. But I don't know how they their conversation began, but Michael Miner had this idea for a super cop. Mm -hmm. So you've got Nurmeyer, who has a robot cop and then you have minor who has a super cop and so they just thought okay how do we take this and make this one idea and these are two guys who did not know each other before they started working on this movie together but they worked outside of their regular day-to-day -day jobs nights and weekends had to get familiar with each other so that they could give each other kind of that constructive criticism that's hard to do even with people you know well but ultimately together they put together this movie called robocop Edward Neumeyer was writing a script about a robot that became a cop. And Michael Miner was working on a script about a human cop that became a robot. I mean, how much closer can you get? Right. 
So I was surprised at how little comparison I saw in this movie versus the $6 million man. Oh, okay. I mean, because it's basically the same idea, right? I mean, yeah. you've got a special agent who's given bionic powers. Huh. He just doesn't have a big metal suit. Obviously. That's a good, because that never occurred to me. Right. I mean, but. To me, little, it's the Terminator. His laser sight in things. I mean, that's also very Terminator. And that had a huge influence on this movie getting greenlit as well. Oh, yeah. Okay, and interestingly, another movie that we have covered had some influence on the script writing as well. Okay. Can you think of a movie that we've talked about where they kill off the main character after the first act? (laughs) Nothing is coming to me. Psycho. There you go. There you go. So he, he loved what they did in Psycho by letting you get involved and deep into this character, and then he's dead. Whatever. I think the girl in Psycho makes it longer than... Murphy makes it in RoboCop. It's not terribly long, but you've got enough time for to build a relationship. Sure. You know, he's ta- he talks to Lewis. He's the new guy. He's getting trained. Uh, he's doing his little pistol twirl to showing that he's got a family and his kid wants him to do this and he wants to look cool. I mean, it's all all just to tie you, it's to a very lead you in. Save the cat moment right there. It is all very much to make you fall in love with him, I believe. Yeah, yeah for sure. His son loves the TV show, TJ Laser, and so he works on his flip of the gun. I'll say this as a side note. Whenever they get to where the bad guys are, I mean, they've, they've got the big car chase. Yeah. Do you fly, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> then they go into the warehouse, and I'm watching with Caleb, of yes, course, right? right? Yeah. And as as they're moving in, just the two of them, he's like, these are the worst cops I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, you're right. They are. They are the worst cops. I mean, who would do this? Wait you know backup, that you have an please. entire gang of guys in here who have no hesitation about throwing one of their own on top of your car. You're just going to go in and separate when you do yeah exactly. brilliant yeah they wake for backup and we never have robocop the end <laughs> <laughs> so hey, by the way real quick on yeah, that yeah, yeah just to throw this in i know i'm getting ahead of myself but the car chase scene yeah you have murphy and lewis chasing the bad guys they stumble upon them it's like hey here are the bad guys let's chase them <laughs> right right yeah. That scene was directed by the second unit because they were running behind and Verhoeven had to be other places. So the second unit directed that scene. And I told you, this never happens to me because of where we live. Right. We're not close to Hollywood. Movies don't shoot in and around here very often. Right. So for me to stand up and go, I know where that place is. Mm-hmm. It's clearly Dallas because Reunion Tower is in the background. There's a very distinct building in Dallas. It looks like a ball on a golf tee. Mm-hmm. And it's behind them, then it's in front of them, then it's behind them, then it's in front of them. <laughs> you can tell it's directed by the second unit because yeah. they can't get the continuity right. Right, And right. that building keeps popping up. That's hilarious. Okay, so... Yes. They've written the script. Yeah. They, crazy, you know, two novice scriptwriters get two offers on it. One of them is from Atlantic Releasing, and the other one is from director John Kaplan and his producer, John Davison, who are both with Orion. And so John Davison has had experience producing films, exploitation films, B-films, including one that we've covered in our second episode. Oh, my gosh. He was a producer on the movie Airplane. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> so, Kaplan ends up leaving later on because he wants to direct Project X, also a movie of 87. Ferris Bueller and... Matthew, yeah, Matthew Broderick. And, and Helen Hunt. And, a, and chimpanzee. It's <laughs> chimpanzee. Not a monkey, you fool. Um... <laughs> So they're like, okay, well, we need another director. And so they offered it to David Cronenberg. Yep. 
Alex Cox, Monty Hellman. Hellman ended up joining as the second unit. That's He's the guy who gave you the lack of continuity in the chase scene. Okay. But ultimately, they end up on this guy from Holland. And he had built his career with this actor starting way back in the 60s with a TV show where a actor that we talked about, even today, was a major player. That actor is Rutger Hauer. Yes, we talked about Rudger Hauer, obviously, in our Blade Runner episode. Mm-hmm. I just got done talking about Rudger Hauer in the Hitcher episode I did with Jeff Johnson over at a film by. Yep. Go listen to that. Rudger Hauer, I mean, he was a movie star. He had done Lady Hawk. <laughs> right. Right? Yep. And they wanted him to be Robocop. So the TV show that Rudger Hauer did, he played a character named Floris, and that was directed by Paul Verhoeven. Yes, Paul Verhoeven then goes on to do multiple TV and movies, frequently paired up with Rutger Hauer, including... Swedish Delight. Turkish. Turkish Delight, yes. (laughs) Swedish Delight. Turkish Delight. (laughs) Whatever, it's fine. (laughs) Okay, yeah. We mentioned Turkish Delight whenever we did our Blade Runner episode. (laughs) Or Swedish Delight, or... That was the movie that convinced Ridley Scott to hire Rudger Hauer for Blade Runner. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Swedish Delight. Swedish Delight. (laughs) Now I have to see if there's a movie that's actually called (laughs) Swedish Delight, right? So, ultimately, they move from the Netherlands. They do several movies together. The movie that comes out in 85 is Flesh and Blood, and... The guys who have lost Kaplan now say, let's get Paul Verhoeven. They send him the script. He looks at the title page and is like, this is junk, and throws it on the floor. Right. He didn't understand the satire that's in the script. He wasn't completely fluent in English at the time. Right. Fortunately, I guess his wife was a little better, and she read it, and she goes, I think you should probably look at this again. This is like a satire of the the Reagan-era economics and all of the corporate power and greed things that are going on. And I don't think he even still got it the second time, but his, <laughs> wife, his wife's recommendation helped him decide to give it a chance. I heard him say that he was a 47-year-old human, but only 10 months old as an American. Right. By the way, Kirkwood Smith, I believe it's his wife who plays the secretary that Boddicker is hitting on, and he puts the, the gum on her nameplate. Oh, right. That's his wife. Really? Wow. That's a good one. So, they've got the script, they've got the production money, they've got the director, now they need a cast, but before we get there, let's jump back to Predator. So for the cast of Predator, who's the first phone call you make? Obviously, it's got to be Bruce Willis. I'm just kidding, yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's the first call you make. He had just worked with him on Commando. Yep. Commando was a lot of fun. Arnold was easy to work with. Action star. Of course, he looks like Mr. Olympia because he was Mr. Olympia. Can I just touch on that for a second? Yeah. So Arnold Schwarzenegger obviously is not an American. I mean, not a Native American. No. He is not originally. (laughs) That's true. He's not a Native American. Keep going. (laughs) He is not originally from the U.S. Yes. Okay. Yes. But he had gained fame through his bodybuilding. So he's won Mr. Olympia. Yes. And he, but he wants to be an actor. And this director named Bob Raffleson says, I want you to be in this movie called Stay Hungry. Okay. And he's like, okay. He goes, I want you to play a bodybuilder. He's like, okay. Got it. 
And he says, and I need you to weigh no more than 210 pounds. What? And Arnold Schwarzenegger's like, what? He goes, you just look bigger on the movie screen. You're too big. You will look abnormally large. You have to still look like a bodybuilder, but you have to weigh 210. And he's like, and I'm giving you to this date. And if you are 211, you don't get the job. And so Arnold changes his workout regimen. He goes from 240. When they weigh him day of, he's 209. So he gets the part. And it's just a pretty bad movie. It's got Jeff Bridges in it. Okay. But then, that was 76. Pumping Iron didn't come out for another year. He got back into Mr. Olympia shape after losing 30 pounds and went on to beat Lou Ferrigno and win the competition in Pumping Iron. Wow. But he wants to be the leading man, but everybody's like, number one, you got the accent. Nobody's going to take you as a leading man. Right. Number two, you're too big. You're too gigantic. And so what happens is we've got this beautiful, beautiful thing that comes out called Conan the Barbarian. Yes. Directed by one of my heroes, John Milius. Yes. And all of a sudden, the accent works for him because he seems more caveman-esque. Right. And the physique is exactly like the Conan comics that were drawn. And so he ends up being the perfect guy for this. John Milius does a great job with his violence in the direction of this movie. Becomes a big hit. And now all of the action stars look like bodybuilders that was the transition that occurred and so by the time we get to 1986 and they're looking for someone to be the action hero well good news we know the action hero of the day and his name is arnold schwarzenegger without a doubt i mean he's a number one yeah in fact you know who they wanted to hire to play robocop arnold schwarzenegger, arnold schwarzenegger yep. right and in fact, in this case, he was too big because you got to lose the arm, you know. Right. His muscles would not translate to the RoboCop costume. He would look humongous. He couldn't move. It wouldn't be. He'd be it wouldn't big, work. Yeah. He'd be bigger than the Ed 209. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So yeah, Joel Silver knows Arnold Schwarzenegger. They call him, and Arnold reads it. And in fact, he read the script, and he's like, this is an original idea. He said, most scripts that they sent me at the time, it was a knockoff of something else. Mm-hmm. He's like, this was really cool. This is an interesting idea. I liked it a lot. He also said, I want a commando group of uh, guys, not just me alone. No, he didn't. <laughs> Dylan! You son of a bitch. So when you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, you need a bunch of other guys who would fit the description of being commandos on this super elite commando team. So Joel Silver really liked what Carl Weathers had done in the Rocky movies. Hold it, Dutch. I'm going after Mac. That's not your style, Dylan. Guess I picked up some bad habits from you. Now get your people the hell out of here. So he calls him and says, hey, I want you to play Dylan. Carl Weathers is awesome. He's oh, yeah. a former NFL linebacker. Yeah. He yeah. played for the Raiders. Yep. He wasn't a great NFL player. Like, he had one stat. He recovered a fumble. <laughs> but he was, to, be, to become an NFL player is is How many fumbles did you recover in the NFL? Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. But you know what? He looks like a Greek god. Oh, yeah. His arms, abs in this movie, he looks, I mean, chiseled. Mm-hmm. But he's also the brains of the operation, right? Yep. So for Blair, they go after Jesse the Body Ventura. Son of a bitch is dug in like an Alabama tick. You're hit. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. Because he was huge in wrestling. Yeah. Now, Jesse, the body Ventura, had actually been in Vietnam. He was a member of the underwater demolition team, which was a precursor. Mm. They were actually doing the transition at the time. A precursor of the Navy SEALs. (laughs) 
Like they had all of these guys through go through this rigorous military training, and every other guy was like, "Yeah, it was a cakewalk for Jesse. Like he was a Navy SEAL, so he just did it. Yes, and it was easy for him. And then the other guys had a, a really hard time. And he was like, Jesse, Jesse the Body Ventura. I can't can't say his name. I can't say Jesse Ventura without putting the body right. In the Absolutely, right. He has no doubt. Right. So Ventura says he's like. Yeah, I mean, I felt comfortable once we were done doing a movie with these guys. I wouldn't want them out in the real jungle with me or right, whatever. And everybody's right. like, well, yeah, yeah. Except for Sonny Landham, who's like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing. When they were doing costume fitting for Predator, yes, they fitted Jesse with his costume. And they said, you know what? Your arms are an inch bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger's. <laughs> and he's like, really? And they're like, yeah. So he goes to Arnold Schwarzenegger and he says, Hey Arnold, how about we have a contest? We'll measure our biceps and which one of us has bigger biceps. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's like, yeah, we should bet a bottle of champagne on this deal. And so they do it. And when they measure, Arnold Schwarzenegger's arms are three inches bigger than Jesse Jesse Ventura's. <laughs> and he's like, what the? What? This is re- how? And so Arnold said, I paid the uh, costume people to say that. Real quick tidbit yep. on... Ventura, are you an X-Files fan? There's an episode of X-Files called Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Jesse Ventura plays one of the men in black, if you will. Okay. You know who plays the other man in black? No. Alex Trebek. What? I got- <laughs> what are you talking about? It's gotta be a great... Wow. Gotta be a great episode. I know our buddy Dave Wright is a big fan of the X-Files. Exactly. Maybe he could shed some light on that. There first. you go. So we already talked about Sonny Landham. There's something out there waiting for us. He was a gubernatorial candidate from Kentucky. Overall, tough guy. So tough, in fact, that they had to enact security upon him. Yep. In the middle of the jungle. He played football for college as well. He played for the University of Georgia. Bulldogs. There you go, David Wright. David Wright. Then they hired uh, Richard Chavez. He was an actual Vietnam vet. Yep. He He plays Poncho. He plays Poncho. She says the jungle. It just came alive and took him. Interesting thing with him is that in like the 90s, he got this stalker who started harassing him and he basically kind of, it scared him off. Like he just hasn't done anything since then. Really? Yeah. That's weird. And then we can't forget Mr. Bill Duke. But if it's Central American, I'm a goddamn Chinaman. From the looks of it, our cabinet minister was CIA. The guy who carries around and dry shaves the entire Predator movie, <laughs> which creeps me out more than almost anything other than pulling the spine out of the dead bodies. Well, that and his eyes. <laughs> He's got some eyes, He's got some eyes that'll reach out and grab you. He plays Mac. Mac! Sergeant! He had been in commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they had become friends during that time. And then we already talked about Shane Black as Hawkins. He was there to help with the script. They wrote him into the movie. So Sonny Lanham was married five times. He got convicted on federal charges of making threatening and obscene phone calls to his wife and spent three years in prison. But ultimately, his conviction got reversed by the U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in 2001. 2006, he was injured in a car accident. And in 2008, he announced his candidacy for the U.S. (laughs) Senate for the seat that was held by Mitch McConnell. What? Yep. A month later, he was running on the Libertarian Party. A month later, he made statements about total war and attacking an enemy, which included generalizations and derogatory language on the political radio show The Weekly Filibuster. (laughs) And later that month, the Libertarian Party asked him to withdraw his nomination. Wow. (laughs) 
the he was forty six years old when he did Predator. Wow, he is ripped up, dude. Yeah, no, he looks fantastic. Yeah. Now he may have not felt fantastic in this particular movie. Okay. Apparently, Montezuma's Revenge. Every <laughs> single one of these guys, again, except for the director, who was smart enough not to eat and drink the food down there. Right. We had that same issue with Steven Spielberg when they were doing Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. John McTernan is basically politely refused all food and he was the only one who didn't have some major intestinal issues and there are apparently some some scenes just like in Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> where Sonny Lindham soiled himself in the uh, midst of the scene. No word on whether John McTiernan ate nothing but SpaghettiOs. <laughs> and then The Predator. This to me is maybe the most interesting thing that I discovered. You won Absolutely. Okay. So originally, the Predator was played by none other than Jean-Claude Van Damme. Hello. Yes. I'm Van Damme. Who at the time was nobody. Nobody. Like, he had been in a very small extra part in Breaking. Well, and he was in a movie called No Retreat, No Surrender, which Uh was based off of that Bruce Springsteen song. (laughs) Go back to our episode on Boring USA. Right. They put him in this costume. He was expecting to play like an action star. Uh huh. And they put him in this weird costume, and he's trying to run around. He looks like a mascot for a football team. Yeah. And it's ridiculous looking. There's no, I mean, he can't use his karate. He can't do his, he can't show his muscles. He can't do his acrobatics or the splits. None of that works. Yeah. I saw a video one time of the Seattle Mariners moose <laughs> mascot. Yeah. Okay. Rollerblading behind a four by four, and he broke his leg. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Okay. This reminded me of that. It was just a goofy mess and it didn't work. Yeah. We're, we're treading into some, some special effects area here, which we will talk about in more detail now. But just the nugget that you need to know is that the original costume did not work. Jean-Claude Van Damme is not a tall guy at all, and he's around all of these guys that are well over six foot. Right. I mean, Bill Duke's 6'4", Sonny Lindham, I don't know, 6'5", I don't know, they're... Arnold Schwarzenegger, 6'4". They're all really, really tall guys. And so if you've got to have a monster that's supposed to be intimidating, you can't have a guy who's in the five-foot-something range. Right. Right? So what they had was this monster that had like a giraffe neck over the top (laughs) of his head. And that was supposed to be it, but it just, John McTernan said when they opened up the box and saw the monster costume, they were like, are you kidding me? Right. And they tried it, and not only did it look terrible, but Jean-Claude Van Damme was complaining the whole time. And so finally they were just like, let's just put it back in the box, and they just sent a little note that says, you don't really want us to use this costume, do you? Right, And so it was at that point that they... They called up a very special person. We'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do, yes, they needed to find a guy to play the part. And so instead of Jean-Claude Van Damme... They picked a guy named Kevin Peter Hall. Yes. And he was fresh off of Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah. He's the guy who played Harry. He, yes, he played Sasquatch. He, he played is, Bigfoot. He yes. played that gigantic man. And he's seven foot two. Guy's huge. Seven foot two. Two, and a trained actor and a basketball player. Yeah. Yeah, he had played for George Washington University, and then ultimately he moved to Venezuela to play professional basketball down there. Yep. But he ends up, you know, 
he was a theater major while he was in college. He wants to be an actor. And so he comes back and is playing a whole lot of monster parts. And it's usually these kind of low-budget things. But he's building up. Eventually, he gets the job in Harry and the Hendersons. He was also in a TV series called Misfits of Science for a little while, too. Okay. But he's just a very tall black man. He has a cameo in this movie as the helicopter pilot. Yeah, when they pick them all up and they're flying away at the end, the pilot that you see is the same guy that was in the Predator costume the whole time. So cool, right? Right. He died at age 35 in 1991. Yep. He had been starring on the TV show 227 where he met his wife, Aliana Reed. They had gotten married, and then he discovered that he had contracted HIV from a blood transfusion from a surgery he had had back when he had a car wreck. It's terrible. Yeah. 35 years old. Yeah. Passed away April 10th, 1991. Oh, one more person I want to mention who does a fantastic job and is easy to overlook. Okay. Forgive me if I say her name wrong. It's Elpidia Carrillo. El que hace trofeos de los hombres means the demon who makes trophies of man. And she plays Anna. She's the the woman that they drag around the jungle. Dime mujer. (laughs) Right? Right. And she's the one who says the jungle came alive and it took him. Right. And that's a great bit for the whole storyline is this understanding. Because she said this is something that's been happening for a while. And so we have this understanding that this is not the only predator that exists. This is not a one-off. These predators have been coming and hunting our people for many years now. Which... Brings me to an interesting segue here. August of this year, we are going to have a prequel to this movie come out. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's called Prey. Yeah. It looks like it potentially could be very good. I'm I'm holding out hope that it it will be a great movie. The director is a guy who's done a lot of TV series work that are great TV series like Black Mirror and some of those other ones. So I'm really hopeful that this is a good movie. I think we should probably watch maybe, maybe it together. we should cover it. How about that? Yeah, let's cover it. I'm hoping that it's good, too. Uh-huh. Although we have not had a good Predator movie since 1987. Right. And just for connections in this, by the way, uh, on these movies, yeah, we mentioned in our uh, Lethal Weapon Die Hard episode that Shane Black was roommates with Chris Matheson, <laughs> yes. who wrote Bill and Ted. Yes, he did. And Fred Decker, who wrote RoboCop 3. Hey, all right. So there you go. Shane Black from Predator, roommates with Fred Decker, who had written RoboCop 3. They actually got together in 2016, 2017, and wrote a movie about the Predator. Shane Black directed it. It was called The Predator, and apparently it was pretty bad. Yeah, I watched it. I didn't like it. Okay. So the original Predator costume was created by Richard England of Boss Film Studios, who we have talked about a couple of different times before. He had done Fright Night and Ghostbusters, right? So yeah. they that was he he made this disproportionate, gangly, ugly, yellow-eyed, dog-head, <laughs> nasty creature. Yes. Before they picked John McTernan, though. They had considered Jeff Murphy to direct. Now, that made that name... Murphy! Yeah, no, right. No. That would <laughs> have been funny. Uh, that name may not ring a bell for you. Yeah. But we have talked about one of his movies before. Oh, wow. Okay. It was a movie that was the first movie written by Matt Reeves, who directed the Batman. The Batman. And it was a movie that he was trying to make a diehard movie. But they took it and they stuck it on a boat. Under siege! 
2. <laughs> you got it. Under Siege 2. <laughs> yeah, so Jeff Murphy, the guy who directed Under Siege 2, was considered to direct this before they hired John McTernan. <laughs> wow. Jeff, Jeff Murphy, by the way, uh, is the second unit guy for the Lord of the Rings trilogy, so he's not nobody, but it's just kind of funny that we've got that weird connection. Wow, okay. <laughs> That's cool. All right, D, so Predator was released June 12th, 1987. Okay. Okay. Same weekend as The Believers, Revenge of the Nerds 2, and Witches of Eastwick. Okay. <laughs> Nerds in Paradise. Huh? All right. Okay. But it finished second at the box office. Okay. Any idea what movie that finished first at the box office that week was? 87. Summer of 87. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop 2, directed by Tony Scott, who also directed Top Gun. Big movie that summer. Okay, guys, before we get to the end, we want to do a Shirley Showcase. We have two awesome guys from an awesome podcast who are going to weigh in on Predator versus Robocop. Yeah, if you don't know about Buzz in the Tower, you need to give these guys a listen. They are really good. They're weighing in, Predator versus Robocop. We asked them to do this about six months ago, so here you go. <laughs> I'm Mo Shapiro. And I'm Max Sanders. And we are the co-hosts, although I'd like to think Max is more of sitting in that part of the motorcycle that's like next to the main part of the motorcycle. The comical Indiana Jones. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Jones. Dr. <laughs> uh, we are Buzz in the Tower and our brothers from another mother, Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, which, Max, if I've said it once, I will say it a thousand times. The jealousy I have for the name of the podcast. It's my one of my favorite lines from Airplane. And they got the uh, say, Back to the say, Future. Say Shirley, you can't be serious. Today. Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Your Leslie is lacking. It's not very good. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a little gold bloom. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's better. So they reached out to us because that's what this brotherhood of 80s and 90s retro podcasters do. Yeah, we, we all have the back signal. We have a club. We're basically like the, the greasers. We're blood brothers. And the outsiders. Yeah. <laughs> so the greasers? It's the... Stay golden, Max. Don't worry about it. It's all right. It's okay. <laughs> okay. So they reached out to us and they wanted our feedback and they gave us a list to pick from. And it's like there was an option. Like there was a choice. <laughs> there was like maybe five or six you different options. You like, oh, what should we do? And then I, I'm like, oh, we do this. Oh, that will be the one that we do. They wanted us to do a... They do a lot of verses. In fact, their latest episode was uh, Batman 89 versus the Dark Knight 08. It's a hard one. That's it's a real, that's great. So we're, we're actually doing an episode very soon. I'm not sure when this will drop versus when our episode dropped, but we're doing a Batman 89 in honor of the new Batman coming out. But back to what Dee and Jason requested. They wanted us to take uh, a moment to talk about a versus scenario with films. And we selected the only thing we could select. Pre Dead or Alive! Dead or Alive! We're talking Robocop versus Predator. <laughs> Max, where do you begin? With the obvious. With the obvious. Predator is... Because Predator is the greatest movie ever made... Yeah, there it is. It has to be better than <laughs> Robocop. However, however, Robocop is straight fire. Have you ever had both in your hands and gone Robocop? You know, in fairness, I would watch Robocop over Predator... Because of how many times I've watched Predator. Uh, no, I go Predator I've, I have watched, because you're still young in the game. When the was the first time you watched Predator? You were in your 20s. Yeah, but the toxic waste death freaks me scares out. Scares you. No, yeah. there's a, it's great. So you have a clash of two titans. I think where I, where I love RoboCop relative to Predator is think about what RoboCop did with no real big names, right? I mean... Peter Weller, though. Buckaroo Banzai, Banzai. But that's it. 
Yeah. Ar- Ar- you know a guy by the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, he, yeah. he may be a little bit bigger than you know Peter. The toxic waste guy was in fame. Are we going to talk about the toxic Paul waste Paul McShane? Again? Yeah. Paul something? McFly? Paul, yeah. Paul McFly? <laughs> think, think, Max. Think McFly. And also uh, Red from that 70s show. Is- <laughs> no, no, no. Red from uh, Staying or Night Fever, <laughs> Staying Alive. He was the dance coordinator. Was. We love that. We love that fact. I think I'll take a different spin. I don't think this is what they wanted us to do, but because there's no way that we're even going to argue that RoboCop is better than Predator. Let's talk Street Fight. I was going to say sexier. No, not sexier. <laughs> Super weird. Predator. Easy. Who, who wins it? No way. I think RoboCop wins that fight. I'm going to use sexier. No, I'm not, we're still talking <laughs> about that. In a Street Fight, RoboCop versus Predator, I go, I go RoboCop. Seriously? I do. I'll tell you why. He can't, uh, what's it called? Camouflage. I know, but he can take a beating. Like, he's not made of flesh. So his all, face is he just got to go through his brain. It's, no, remember it's a prosthetic. It's okay. not even real. Oh it's really? Like, yeah, remember that's just a little piece of flesh they put on there to make him feel good about himself. <laughs> I'm dead re- serious. I, I think that might, that might be RoboCop too. Yeah. When they're going after Kane, what's bugging you, Murph? Kane's bugging me. <laughs> I think I go with RoboCop in the fight. Predator certainly has the technology. Are they in the jungle or are they in like a oh, city? Oh, now that's a great. If they're, if they're in the jungle, the Predator wins for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, RoboCop can barely walk up and down stairs. Yeah. Arnold beat him with like no weapons whatsoever. He like MacGyvered it. So I guess RoboCop has a better chance. Yeah. So you're making my point. I know. Okay. I'm, I'm moving. But to not your in side. the jungle. Not in the jungle yeah. for sure. I mean, but if they were in, you know, Detroit, OCP ran Detroit. <laughs> And it was, uh, or it was Predator 2, and they were in L.A. with... uh, Jamaican drug dealers? Yes. Then I think it wins. (laughs) Great question. Great topic. Guys, thanks for giving us a couple minutes to speak our minds. I think we land on Predator overall for movie, Robocop in a street fight, and again, surely you can't be serious podcast. Thank you for having Buzz in the Tower on your show. Okay, and you can see why we like to listen to these guys. They are hysterical. I Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you giving us your opinion on this one. There great. are greaser brothers from another mother. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys, so much. Really appreciate it. Everybody listening, please go check out the Buzz in the Tower podcast. Guys, that'll do it for our first part of Predator versus RoboCop. Be sure, come back next week, and you will get part two of RoboCop versus Predator. Robocop, Predator, it's going to be a street fight. Can't wait to find out what you think about these two. Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. Get to the chopper.